Well, let's go ahead and make our way in the Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this morning we continue our series entitled, The End is Only the Beginning, a Look at Biblical Eschatology. And this morning we will be looking at verses 9 and 10. Let's start in verse 1. The title of my message this morning is The Anti-Agenda. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if some from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know that what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth. And, the, and destroy, excuse me, with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is the working according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. As Paul writes again to the Thessalonian church, There were those who believed that their circumstances indicated to them that they were in the great day of the Lord, a time of judgment and a time of restoration. The great day of the Lord is that anticipated moment in time in which God holds the world accountable for all unrighteousness, outlined for us in the book of Revelation chapter 6 through 19. The restoration then begins after his return. Chapters 19, 20, 21, and 22. That restoration again restores the world to that perfect creation in which it once was, it once held before the fall of man in the book of Genesis. At that moment when God looked at all things and he said, all things are good. God will one day restore all things to that state once again. That is an aspect of the day of the Lord. But these individuals felt that the persecution that they were experiencing, the trouble that they were facing, the difficulties that they were contending with, indicated to them that they were in the day of judgment, that portion of judgment of the great day of the Lord. And as a result, they became shaken in their minds and in their hearts. They become unsteady because Paul had promised them in his first letter to them that God would spare them from the wrath that is yet to come. And this felt like a betrayal. Then confirmed by some type of false spirit or false letter apparently written by Paul, a forgery, solidified them in this understanding. 
So Paul writes the second letter to them to steady their minds and their hearts, reminding them of the truth, showing them and demonstrating that before the day of the Lord may come, that this apostasy must take place, and also that the man of sin, of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the one we know as the Antichrist, is revealed. And so these things had not yet taken place, and so Paul's assuring them that you cannot be in the day of the Lord. But now as we come to verses 9 and 10, we discover that once the Antichrist is revealed, and that which is restraining him is removed, which we have indicated to be the church and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through it. And once that is removed at the time of the rapture of the church, the Antichrist will be revealed on the world stage as the Antichrist, as this world leader. In fact, the Bible tells us that he will be seen as a world leader with great wisdom, great insight, great leadership capacity. He will be one in history that will be able to weave together and bring together under one individual's control the three elements that are needed to be controlled if any society will be controlled. Those elements are political, economic, and religious. The book of Revelation shows us that the Antichrist will govern all three aspects of human society, the political, the economic, and the religious. And as a result, be able to rule the world, literally. We see the reveal of the Antichrist take place in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. As we are given the depiction of one who rides out on a white horse, but not with a sword from his mouth as Christ does in Revelation 19, but as one with a bow and arrow, and one who has a diadem on his head, a crown, but in this particular case, the crown is given authority. Where it states of Jesus, when he returns, he'll have all crowns, meaning that he'll be sovereign over all things, that there will be no authority over him. So what shall the Antichrist then impose upon the world once he arrives? Well, you can read that in the wake of the disasters that will come upon the earth through the set of judgments that take place, three sets of seven judgments that take place over the entire world, there will be economic judgments uh, due to the agricultural judgments and so forth, weather and Uh, land displacement will take place. A large percentage of the population will be destroyed at that time. It'll be a horrific period of time and the Antichrist will rise to power. And in his first three and a half years of power, he'll appear to be a man of peace. He'll appear to have all the answers that the world needs at that time. He will be a uniting figure. He will be a figure that the world can embrace and follow during the difficulties in which they are experiencing. But then something happens at the three and a half year mark. At that moment in time, it appears that he is assassinated. Zechariah prophesies about one called the woeful shepherd. And as the woeful shepherd is then appears to die, losing his right eye and right uh, hand, arm I should say, on the third day he appears to rise again. 
leading the world then into the second half of the seven-year period, the second three and a half years, empowered by Satan directly, leading the world in a rebellion against God, ultimately climaxing at the end in the valley of Megiddo in Israel, where we know the battle of Armageddon to take place. As the Antichrist waits with military forces, apparently, for the Lord's return, the Lord destroys and consumes all that gather against him simply with the brightness of his coming and the breath of his mouth. That was good, Mark. I hope we got that one recorded. That, that one was good. Uh, I'll give you the $5 after, after service. But in the meantime, The Antichrist has an agenda. And that agenda is very simple, but it's profoundly played out. The simple agenda of the Antichrist is to lead people away from God. That's it. Directing the worship upon himself that is due to our God and our God alone. He fulfills the ultimate desire of Satan from the very beginning. And that was when Satan asked to be worshipped as God was worshipped. The Antichrist will now experience a moment, a temporary moment, where that worship and adoration is given unto him. And to allure people away from the one true God during this time, He will use a series of signs, wonders, and lying deception. And as a result, he will draw the world away from God. As Paul picks it up, he says very clearly in verse 9, notice there with me, that the coming of the lawless one, the coming of the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan. Satan is a literal figure that we contend with as Christians. He is not simply the personification of evil that some would like to simplify him or to condense him into being. The Bible clearly tells us that at one time Satan was an angel that fell from heaven. He fell due to pride. He desired to exalt himself and to sit on the throne of God and to be worshipped as God. And from Genesis to Revelation, Satan becomes the great antagonist, the one in whom we contend with, the battle in whom we, that we wage with. We must understand that as Christians, that there is a reality beyond the physical world that is just as much of a reality as the physical world is to us. The reality of the spiritual world also must be considered in all things that we do as believers in Jesus Christ. If we want to condense reality and simply confine it to all natural things, then we must exclude God and say that God does not exist. But if God does exist, then there's a reality outside of this physical world. And within that reality is God, 
Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the angels, heaven, hell, Satan, and his demons. Throughout the New Testament, this reality was always in view by those in whom were following Christ. Paul knew exactly that this reality was the true enemy behind all that we contend with here on this earth. From the idols that are worshipped to the very political scene that is uh, found underneath the umbrella of the wicked one. He saw that truly it was not flesh and blood that we wrestled against, but principalities and powers. And that there's a spiritual war raging around us that we must be aware of. Throughout the Bible, we are given glimpses into this war in the book of Daniel and in others. Certainly in the book of Revelation. During the time of Jesus, we saw this warfare come to a head. And I believe that this warfare will begin to ratchet up as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what we're seeing. I believe that we see in this conflict of worldviews the raging spiritual warfare that lies behind these worldviews. The illogical manner in which our society is viewed and embraced is certainly not that of God because God is not the author of confusion. It is a manifestation of the destruction of Satan towards God's creation. Jesus made it clear that Satan came to steal, to kill, and destroy, and that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Peter was also familiar with this and said that Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking in whom he may destroy. Again, Paul made it abundantly clear that we as Christians must gird ourselves with the uh, armor of God to contend and to do all that we can do to stand in this time of spiritual warfare. But a part of the reason that this warfare is ratcheting up in our society today is because the divide between our society and the sanctification of the church is growing. There's this division now. As Christendom in our society begins to die, that is the simple appearance of Christianity, and true Christianity and true Christians are standing out now opposed to those ideals of the world and the ideologies that they adopt. There's a greater contrast now than there ever has been before. And as a result, we now see that within that contrast, there is now greater persecution towards Christians, isn't there? And, of course, the worldview in which we embrace. The idea and the audacity that we would have to believe that there's only two genders created by God. Male and female. That God created marriage to be embraced by a husband and wife, a male and a female. Yet our society wants to remove itself from all authority that God has, redesign itself apart from God in the manner in which it decides that it would better operate, it feels that it better operate. And let us be clear, 
This election that we have coming up is not about personalities. It's about policy. And we must be aware of what the policies are. There are those who have made it abundantly clear that they believe it is time to abandon the Constitution of the United States of America. Absolutely abandon it. They believe it's outdated. They believe that it hinders the progression of our society. And most importantly, they are rejecting the biblical worldview in which it contains. Let's be straight up about that. We, see, we are seeing our nation being plunged into wickedness and sin like we've never seen before. It's always been there, but now it's coming to the surface. And all things are preparing for His arrival. Oh, not the arrival of Jesus Christ. The arrival of the Antichrist. And notice that the great component of that arrival is found in the vacuum of the rejection of the truth. Paul makes it abundantly clear here in verse 10 that because individuals rejected the truth, that they rejected the love of God found in the truth, they rejected the love of truth itself. As a result, a vacuum was formed. And that's what happens in every single case. When the knowledge of God is suppressed by unrighteousness, Romans tells us clearly in Romans 1 that God then will allow and give over one to those passions and lusts. Allowing that void to be filled by their own doing and their own creation. Now, today, the ultimate form of idolatry is not found in a small idol that's being worshipped within a person's home. The great idolatry of the American culture is self. Think about that for a moment. And this goes all the way back to the garden when the serpent, Satan himself, tempts Eve and says that you too will be like God if you eat of that fruit. Self is the idol that we are really contending against. That's why Jesus said, for one to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. And Paul saw this, and when he wrote in his epistles and talking about the creation of the idols at the hands of the individual, he is stating that they are extensions of simply you yourself that have no ability to intercede on your behalf. We've done away with those idols now, and we've just focused on ourselves. Isn't it interesting that when an individual looks for help, they go to a self-help organization? Isn't that very interesting? And the Antichrist is going to play upon that. The humanism, the naturalism that takes place, I'm sorry, that is taking place in our culture, he will capitalize upon in his arrival. But the vacuum that is left from the abandonment of the truth is where the vulnerability lies within the heart and the mind of the individual. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. 
They've rejected the truth. They rejected the love of God that's found within the truth, and they choose to embrace the lie rather than the truth. That truth will soon become annoying to them. It'll become something that they want to avoid. And they suppress that truth in unrighteousness, trying to alleviate all knowledge of the truth that they may continue in unrighteousness. But then at the halfway mark, the Antichrist does something. Notice here with me. Notice in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, number one, signs, and lying wonders. He will appear to solidify his reign over the religious community of this time by performing supernatural acts. The word power there is the word dudamis, which is used in Acts 1-8 to uh, describe the power that we as believers are given in, in and through the Holy Spirit. Satan, again, is not a creator. He's a counterfeiter. He simply counterfeits that which God has already done. So as Jesus was empowered by the Spirit at his baptism, Satan will raise the Antichrist, empower him with the power that he has, which is limited in comparison to the power of God. But it is still capable of deceiving, especially in the wake of the rejection of the truth. He will then perform signs. And these signs are miracles pointing to an identity, meaning pointing to something. It's just like if you were to see a sign on the road, you know, suggested speed limit is 70. I want to test that theory when I get my Corvette. No. Uh, Or so many miles until the exit that you're waiting for, or so forth. It's a sign. It's, It's leading you to something else. It's informing you, but it's also showing you that you're on the right track, per se. These signs, these miracles in which the Antichrist will perform will lead people away from God and to the worship of Him Himself. And so let us not be fooled in the sense that miracles can be false in nature. They can lead people away from God as much as they can lead people to God. That's why we have the Word of God to qualify the miracles in which are being rendered before us. But these miracles, and wouldn't it be interesting if he fed the 2,000, if he changed water into beer? He's not going to do wine. Jesus already did that, you know. Similar things that would lead people to believe that he is a deity in and of himself. We don't know what these miracles are until we come to Revelation 13. And then we see that extraordinarily the image in which he resurrects in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem comes alive. Very interesting. It also states very clearly in Revelation 13 that the Antichrist is empowered by the working of the great dragon Satan himself. And if you notice that this verse here in verse 9 is parallel to that of Acts 
22 and 23. When Peter wrote and stated, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested uh, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. And then him being delivered uh, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put him to death. The same manner in which Jesus was validated by the signs, wonders, and powers in which he expressed Satan will counterfeit in the Antichrist to draw people away from God himself. As Revelation 13 through 15 states, he that is the Antichrist performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of man. And he deceives those who will dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed." This is what Paul is referring to. But the crux of it all is the absence of the truth. Our society today wants to tell us that there isn't absolute truth any longer within our society. And you know what? They're right. And let me explain what I mean by that. We in the United States of America don't concern ourselves with the topic of philosophy much any longer. And yet our whole nation is operating on a philosophy that has led it into more problems than we can possibly count. There's a philosophy that governs the hearts of Americans and the minds of Americans today. It is this philosophy that they use to determine what is true and what is false. And yet it is one of the greatest erroneous uh, indicators of truth that could be devised. This philosophy is called pragmatism. And as a result, the American people determine what is true and what is not based upon their own personal experiences in life. Now, this is a very short summary and summation of this particular philosophy. But it is something that now has been embraced by almost all Americans and therefore, they are now determining what is true based upon their own personal experience. Well, then it's easy to understand that, number one, truth then can be relevant, can't it? Because it's not based on absolutes any longer. It is based on personal experience. So if you haven't had that experience, then the truth that may be conveyed is not a truth that you would personally embrace, right? Right? It is also very misleading because it no longer relies on facts and data. It relies on experience. And I use the illustration, the great Toyota ex uh, illustration. If you were in the market to purchase a car and you had read that Toyotas are incredibly reliable automobiles and they rate very high in their reliability and their uh, 
and their um, integrity and so forth. And so you then, based on the data, go out and buy one. And unfortunately, you get one that was uh, a lemon. And you, therefore, are now dissatisfied with your purchase of a Toyota. And no matter what anyone tries to do and reason with you through the data, you will say, nope, I tried it. I went that way. I got a lemon. Toyotas are terrible. They're the worst car ever made. But the data doesn't support that. This is why we can no longer gain a consensus here in the United States of America. This is why the Constitution is being challenged because it will not bend to the personal experiences of the individuals because it's based on higher object truth that all men are created equal, right? Based upon revelation given in Scripture of absolute truth. When we saw academia turn against Christianity, it is because Christianity would not kowtow to the understanding that there is simply relevant truth and not absolute truth. And we therefore wouldn't bend to their view of society. This is how you can go from two genders to 121 genders. Because again, it's not what's true or what's binary, as some would say, or what has been created, man and female. It's all up to now how you personally view and use that word identify yourself. This is a huge problem, folks. And because of the rejection of the truth, that void must be filled in some way. So the means by discovering truth is now a pragmatic philosophy determined on personal experience. And this is what led people, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. It's simple. Paul made it abundantly clear in Colossians 2.8 that there were philosophies of this world that would cheat and rob a pe- people of the blessings of God. Specifically, those philosophies that would undermine the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We as Christians have been called narrow-minded because we will not embrace a pragmatic determination of truth because we believe that truth is determined in and through the person of Jesus Christ through his word. And this is why we eventually will be excluded, hated, and persecuted even further because we are not going to bend. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to embrace the weakened philosophies and faulty philosophies of this world. We're not going to adopt those and abandon the truth of God's word. And Paul says that each and every individual that has rejected the truth has placed themselves in a position of vulnerability. And as a result, they eventually will be allured away. As he states in verse 10, all that the Antichrist does through power, signs, and lying wonders. 
Lying wonders is an interesting phrase in the Greek. You see the power in which the Antichrist manifests. You see the miracles in which he renders. Then you go to the lying wonders. What does that mean? It means that the individual who is witnessing the power and the signs of the Antichrist are then drawing the wrong conclusion concerning who the Antichrist is. The word wonders there is a reaction from those who are witnessing and who are the audience to the power and the signs of the one who's performing these things. The wonder is the reaction, the awe effect of these things. And they're lying in the sense that they have been misled by the Antichrist to believe that he is something that he is not. And so they draw the wrong conclusions. I think all of us are probably now burnt out, thoroughly burnt out, discussing the coronavirus, aren't we? Yeah, here we go. It's a lively bunch today. I know I am. And one of the reasons that I am so burnt out and hearing about it is because the information given has been spun in so many different directions. You, we no longer know who's telling us the truth, do we? We have no idea. We don't know if the number of tests being performed is a number that we can trust, or the number of positives that are being revealed is a number that we can trust, or the number of deaths that are being uh, recorded are deaths that we can trust. You know, a person who dies in a motorcycle accident, who... Uh, therefore, is taken to a hospital that has COVID is then recorded as one who had COVID. We had someone associated, uh, affiliated with our church whose father do- died in a nursing home of, of completely separate um, reasonings. And they wanted to mark it as COVID. The family is currently fighting that because it had nothing to do with COVID. Nothing at all here in Illinois. We don't know what to believe during this, do we? We don't know what drugs work and which drugs don't work. We're we're told that a a vaccine is coming, but who's going to take it? You know, all this confusion. But in the wake of all of this confusion, what is able to happen is that these things are being able to be spun in every direction, manipulating and moving people in whatever direction they want it to go. When schools were considering reopening, all of a sudden the newspapers began to list all of the children who had COVID, which before that we never heard anything about children, right? And we just don't know who to believe. And we we want to do what's right and we want to listen to the scientists and, and the medical professionals. But when it's so politicized, when our nation is shut down to the point where we can't even function any longer, when people who are inundated with the media are afraid to leave their homes, there's a problem. For the last eight days, there have been less than 50,000 cases of COVID in the United States in total for the last eight days. That's 0.015% positivity rate. 
based on 330 million people. There's a problem. The confusion that we're seeing is allowing individuals to be moved by media, by politicians, by others. And individuals are just simply saying, please just tell us the facts so we can be responsible for ourselves. But here is a clear-cut example of when you no longer know the truth, how then you become vulnerable and susceptible to the lie. We as believers not only need to know what we believe, but we need to know why we believe it. We need to understand what a biblical worldview is and the philosophies of this world that try to undermine that biblical worldview. We no longer can be inundated with sermons coming across the pulpits of America, 10 ways to have the best marriage you can have, five ways to have the happiest life you can have, your best life now. If this is my best life now, I quit. All right? We need to get back into God's Word. Because everything we need for life and godliness is found within the pages of this book. We need to get back to this. We need to challenge ourselves. We need to grow in our understanding and the knowledge of God's Word. We need to protect ourselves from the vulnerabilities that are created from the abandonment of the truth by adopting the truth, feeding on God's Word each and every day, discovering the truth, realizing what that truth is, and then standing upon it as the rock in which Jesus described it. Therefore, when the storms of life come, and they will come, our house will stand, our life will stand. We will not be shaken or moved by our society, by the philosophies and ideologies that carry our society and lead our society. And we will be able to spot the lie from the truth. Now is not time to abandon God's Word. Now is time to embrace God's Word more than we ever have before. Verse 10. And everything that he does, notice in verse 10, is in all unrighteous deception. He is purposely trying to deceive people. He is constructing and and architecting everything to take place to lead you away from the truth and away from God into utter eternal destruction. Everything that he does. And that same Satan who works through the Antichrist is the ruler of this world working in our world today with that same purpose. We must be aware of the truth that we may not be deceived by the lie. Deception among those who are perishing. Those who do not believe, the Bible says, are blinded by the ruler of this world. They cannot see and determine truth apart from God's help. This is why we must be praying for our loved ones who do not know Jesus Christ, that God would lift those blinders. Because you can articulate facts and information properly, You can show them beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are wrong and still not have them come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
And the blindness of many in America today is overwhelming, isn't it? When I see these individuals challenging students on campus, college students on campus, you can see how blinded they have been. Blindly accepting the words of what appear to be intellectual academics, never challenging the validity of what those academics are saying. And the real reason that they're not challenging those academics is because they have nothing to challenge it with. But we have the Scriptures. And we've been given the Scriptures that we may know the truth from the lie. The same Satan that works through the Antichrist is working in our world today to deceive those who are perishing, who do not have saving faith in Jesus Christ. And why? Look at what Paul says here. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's an amazing thing. The moment you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, the blinders come off. And you begin to see everything through a whole new blinding light. You see the world as it really is and the temptations in which it contains, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You see the allurement that Satan has created within the fallen world to drag us away from those things that are of God. The righteousness and the standards in which God has set for morality. And you see how this world has constructed itself to be just the opposite of all of that. You realize that there's more to life than just the mere existing in this life. For those who do not believe they are perishing, though they may have physical life, spiritually they're dead inside. And though they may think they're living, They're merely existing. For true life doesn't come anywhere but through Jesus Christ. He says, I give life to those who come to me and I give it to them more abundantly. The reason that these people place themselves in this vulnerability to receive the lie of the Antichrist is because they rejected the truth of Jesus Christ. So you and I must be masters of truth. There is an absolute truth. As Pilate stood before Jesus Christ and said, what is truth? You and I know that truth. And it's not contained in a verbal philosophy written in some ancient language. It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is an expression of that logos, the the understanding, the revelation in which God has given the world through His Son. That Jesus and Him alone can say, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Through the Bible, we are given the revelation to know the lie, to identify the lie, to call out the lie. And that's our job. Because that lie is killing people. It's destroying lives because the one behind that lie has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Going about this world like a roaring lion, seeking in whom he may destroy. And that person may be someone you love. Let me encourage you that one loves them even more, and that is God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not what? perish, 
but have everlasting life. Father, we thank you for your word.